Hi, my name is Stuart Noyce, and I am here with Jay Ryder of Ryder Homes. Uh, Jay is a classmate of mine from the Haas School of Business in 1989. We're going to ask him some questions about his business and then how he got to the bee uh, in the place where he is. Um, so, Jay, why don't you first introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. My name is Jay Ryder. I'm, as Stuart said, I'm with Ryder Homes, and I've been, um, I've been, you know, president here since 1997, and I've actually been working here since 1990. So it's been 29 years in this business. Exactly. And what is the need that is served um, by Ryder Homes in the world? Well, I mean, we're a real estate development company, and residential builders. So we uh, basically have been, I mean, we, in the early years, in the 90s, uh, we were primarily just a single family home subdivision or a track builder, as some people say. Um, we built mostly larger subdivisions of 20 to 100 plus homes in mostly outlying areas of the Bay Area. Um, and since that time, the market has changed quite a bit, but we expanded into Nevada, um, and we now build small subdivisions here in the Bay Area and larger subdivisions up in Nevada, as well as we've gotten into multifamily and build apartments. And I guess the need that we're satisfying is, is the need for housing, um, which is, as everyone knows, has been in shortage in most areas of the country. Um, of course, everybody knows the cost of housing and uh, the price of all housing has gone up dramatically, um, so we're trying to satisfy that need, but it is difficult um, with, with rising costs and prices. And um, anyway, it's been a successful business, bar the couple of recessions we went through that were pretty difficult, but, um, but we're still here and we're still looking forward to satisfying those needs. Uh, so you build um, the product that you offer is not just a single home, but it's actually, in fact, an entire community. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what that looks like in terms of an offer um, out there in the world. Yeah, well, I mean, um, a subdivision of, say, 50 to 100 homes usually consists of three or four different floor plans with each plan offering three or four different exterior looks. So you might have 12 different um, streetscapes um, throughout the community and then it's repeated throughout and um, you you know typically we market that through a model home complex uh, where the three or four plans are you know decorated and landscaped and people can walk through and and you know envision themselves living I guess in these particular homes and and that's how we market uh, the product um, and you, you know, many communities will have other amenities such as, um, you know, a central clubhouse or, uh, you know, a pool. Um, some don't, but um, it just depends on where we are and what uh, the niche that we're going after in that particular market. So what separates you from the, your competitors? Well, most of the competitors in that type of business are, are now, um, the publicly traded builders uh, such as Lennar, DR Horton, KB Home, some of the bigger ones that build all over the country. Um, so we are a what's we're a private builder. We're not publicly traded. We're or what they call a regional, I guess. Um, and uh, but we compete against them, particularly up in Reno, where we're still doing large subdivisions. Um, 
And I guess what sets us apart is that we feel that we do, you know, we, we feel that we're more attuned to design. Um, we're not, you know, they tend to create plans that are very cost efficient and they uh, repeat those plans on subdivisions throughout certain areas. Um, we know that we can't be as cost efficient as those publicly traded builders, so we uh, try to hit our market niche with better design. I mean, um, you know, it might cost the buyer a little bit more uh, to get into these, to get, to get into our project versus one of theirs, but, um, use, you know, we find that our buyers are willing to pay the price to have a better design community with, um, you know, more attention to customer service and, you know, they feel like they're dealing with somebody that's more um, tuned into their needs and, and into the market and so on. So that's, we're sort of the hometown builder, I guess, is how we play. That's a great positioning. Um, how is it that you make your money then? You, you've talked about the um, cost rising and uh, you pass that cost or that higher level of cost, um, particularly because you have a very uh, unique solution that you're offering to each of your customers. Um, yeah, so what does that business model look like then? Is it, is it strong? Is it, you know, is it working? What do you think? Uh, well, it has worked so far because um, so far, uh, you know, since 2012, when we came out of the recession, um, prices and costs have gone up dramatically. Now, we've been able to raise our prices most of the time to cover the increases in costs. And so there is a margin uh, that we try to hit on all of our projects. Um, in most cases, we're able to maintain margin and, and make a profit. Uh, of course, there are those projects where the costs just overwhelmed us and we were not able to uh, make that margin. But, you know, the market dictates the price and fortunately the market has been able, has been willing, I guess, to pay the price to cover those costs. Um, now, that's not always the case. Of course, back in 2008, uh, the market decided it wasn't willing to pay um, you know, it, it was willing to pay declining prices. Uh, so all builders lost money during those years. And, you know, so it's not going to go on forever. We know that. Um, and fortunately, right at the moment, costs are starting to stabilize uh, over the past six to 12 months. And prices, as a result, are also stabilizing. So we're kind of in a stagnant period right now, I would say. We're, um, we're in a, a time where we're not really able to raise price right now, but also costs seem to be stabilizing. So we're still able to make some money, but it, it gets more difficult. Sure, but you've had some uh, considerable success over the years because maybe you can tell us in, in, in terms of your ability to execute, um, this company's been around for quite a while, so that certainly is one of your uh, pillars. But maybe you could show us or, and indicate some other places where you really have that ability. Well, I think one thing that we've been able to do that, that, that has sustained us, particularly through you know, the, the tougher times, is that we are somewhat conservative. We don't um, tend to go over, over our skis, I guess, with um, making land purchases at the wrong time or um, you know, going, getting too aggressive, I should say, with um, you know, building up our land portfolio for future. Uh, building and you know, that's what got a lot of the builders in the recession was that uh, they thought the good times are going to go on forever They bought way too much land. They put bank debt uh, on some of their purchases to buy the land and I guess that's one deadly sin is you should never buy land with bank debt 
um, the bank debt you should use for construction. So one thing that we've always done, particularly since um, we saw everybody go down during the recession, is we'll never do another land deal using bank or you know debt that we have to pay back. Um, so you know if we have a big deal coming up and we need money, we get private investors that are willing to take the risk. Um, so so that's kind of how we've been able to you know keep going and keep our pipeline going and um, and not get too aggressive. Okay, so when did this company get started? Company got started in 1960, right around 1960. My father uh, was down in Southern California. Uh, and your father's name is? Ned Ryder. And uh, he started the company in Santa Maria, California, uh, where I was born. And uh, then he moved up to Northern California shortly after that um, into where we are now here in Walnut Creek. And uh, he mainly got started building homes up in Napa. He was kind of the builder up in Napa, building 100 to 200 houses a year all throughout the 70s. Um, and at that point, he, when the Napa market um, was great, but they decided they didn't want, uh, they, they wanted to restrict growth uh, in the Napa Valley there. So it, his, his sort of niche got cut off a little bit, so he had to go out other places. And at that point, he started expanding um, into other areas. Did you um, always uh, know you were going to be a builder then growing up? No, um, I, I didn't. Um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I, um, I actually, I worked for him during the summers um, because, you know, there was always a job for me to do. Uh, most of it was construction labor related and, you know, fun stuff like that. Uh, but. Um, when I went to college, I decided I was going to do something else. I, I studied geology and I was going to, my plan was to work in the oil fields um, as a geologist or, you know, geological engineer. And what school was that? That was at Colgate University in upstate New York. So you, uh, you were, you went back east? Yes. Now, was that to get as far away from your family as possible or just, to, <laughs> just because it was a great program? Well, the interesting thing is um, I was planning to go to Cal because I got an early decision there. And my parents actually encouraged me to go to the East and look around and see if that was something I wanted to do. And I did. And um, when I went back to Colgate, I actually knew somebody that was there and he showed me around. I said, wow, this could be pretty neat. Maybe I do need to go to get out of California. So I spent those four years back there, but came right back and uh, ended up at Cal Business School um, just after that. So that's right. That's where we ended up meeting. That's right. Uh, my <laughs> my experience with that uh, is, uh, I have a daughter, and I suggested that she go to Cal and not go back east. But that's because we had already spent time back east. And I think there's a I think there's some value in having some experience uh, between the East Coast and the West Coast, so you can compare them. Do you feel that way? Oh yeah. No, I. I it was a great experience. Um, I. You know, I mean, Colgate is a completely different experience than Cal, that's for sure. It's a small rural campus in a, you know, 3,000 miles away um, with mostly New Yorkers and Bostonians and, you know, much different atmosphere than what I saw at Cal, which is a melting pot of virtually everything. Uh, so. It still is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so great. So um, 
you had some experience, you know, in building. Um, you went off and you you had done the geology, but then you come back to to go to the business school. What was the mo- primary motivation to go back to business school? I think because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I got out of college and the oil market had, that was 1986, um, when the oil crash had occurred, there was no virtually no jobs um, in the oil patch at that time. So it sort of forced me to look into other things. Um, so I worked for my dad for a year and I didn't really like it because he didn't really give me good stuff to do. I thought, well, I'm a college graduate. I should be doing something important, right? And um, so I said, okay, well, then I'll, I'll just go back to, to school then. So I, so I did, uh, not really knowing what I wanted to do after that. Um, and after business school, um, my dad convinced me that, uh, you know, this time around, he's going to give me a real job. He's, he gave me basically a region that I would manage uh, up in Sacramento. And um, so it sounded like a good idea. I was um, I, I liked the business and had worked in it for many summers at that point and felt comfortable with everybody here. So that that was what I thought my best opportunity was. Of course. And uh, what's interesting, I think, to us looking in, uh, you're in a family business. Essentially, it's private, still privately held. Uh, it's run by you now, but it was run by your father before. And uh, those dynamics can be challenging at times, and you just hinted at it a little bit. Um, what was, you know, from your perspective, did he do the right thing by making you wait a little bit and to get some more experience and, and maybe some education? Yes, I think so, because, um, you know, I see this with my daughters now. They're in their early 20s, and they don't really know what they want to do and they're grasping at different straws every day looking at different opportunities all the time and that's kind of where I was I needed to kind of filter all that stuff through and and understand more about what I was doing and so I I was actually here uh, for seven years before becoming president and um, that was an important time to really learn the business and and understand where I wanted to go with it once the time come, you know, to do that, so. Of course, and I think you, you just hinted at something I was going to ask about, and that is, you know, you're almost at, at um, the company as long as your father was. So, you know, are, and you, you're in the same age group that I am, so we're not ready to stop working. Um, but that doesn't mean that we aren't thinking about the long term, right? So are you actually in a place where you have to think about that now? Starting to. Starting to, yeah. Um, especially with I got my older daughter, I think may want to you know, be here someday, may want to take the company somewhere. Um, so I'm kind of, I got, kind of got that in the back of my mind. Um, and you know, I'm, I guess, taking a little bit more time for myself and the family now than I was, say, five years ago. My kids are out of the house now, so I'm, my wife and I moved up to Napa recently, so we're, um, you know, it's, it's a time where, yes, I'm starting to think about transition, and I got some people here that, um, you know, that possibly would be transition candidates at some point, but it's probably, I want to say, at least five years down the road before I would really start to transition out, I think. I'm sure you have plenty to keep working on. Um, let's get into 
your uh, business school experience because this was uh, this is the thing we shared, and I know uh, the people who pushed us to go and do this interview were um, our classmates, and they said you got to talk to Jay, and I was like, well, okay, why should we be talking to Jay? And they said, well, he was really quiet in school. We didn't know what was going on, and uh, I think they're curious. So, what would you say to your you know your roommates? Why were you so quiet at the time? Um, you know, I was. I, would, I mean, I, I was always a shy kid. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just who I am. I was just kind of a quiet you know, man of few words. But once you get to know me and become friends with me, um, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one basis or on a small group, I think I, you know, am more comfortable than in a large class. I tend to let others speak. Um, but, yeah, and I was also probably, and, you know, that was, again, back in my... <clears throat> early 20s, I wasn't really all that secure with myself, or mid-20s actually at that point. Um, wasn't really sure about myself and, you know, where I was going with my life and so on. And um, So that created some of my quietness, I'm sure. But um, I, you know, as far as those guys that you mentioned, I didn't think I was that quiet around them, but, you know, I guess... Compared to them, maybe so. <laughs> Compared to them, maybe so. <laughs> Many of us would say the same. Um, well, one of the things that I appreciated about the school was that we were essentially trailblazers. Um, our class was the first one to be part of the Haas School of Business. So for the longest time, I said I was a, a graduate of the University of California Berkeley Business School. And then at some point, they started to brand it as you know Haas and then Berkeley Haas. Um, what was your, you know, your experience at the time? Did you think that was a good thing, a bad thing, or was it just sort of a neutral thing at the time? The, uh, that, that Haas the, the Haas, in. yeah, the Haas uh, investment, as it were, donations. Oh, I think it's great um, because, I mean, as you know, we were in Barrows Hall. Um, oh, yes. And um, the facilities were not stellar, and uh, we shared that building with Poli Sci and a couple other undergraduate departments and... You know, it wasn't really... Um, the, the only redeeming factor of that building is the rooftop <laughs> yes. where we could have the keggers. Right yeah, I mean, it was very institutional looking. Um, and so when Haas came in, and I think just a few years after we left, built that nice new business school, I mean, now it's fantastic. Um, you know, that... It's you know it made it a world class place. It certainly did. And, and uh, I, I feel like in some ways, though, um, our class was one of the classes that exemplified the four principles that they talk about. Uh, any particular one of those principles that you feel like you own yourself? Well, question the status quo is, um, I mean, that's sort of a Berkeley mantra, isn't it? I mean, I think so. <laughs> you have to always question the status the, quo. If you the one I liked was confidence without attitude, which I think is, I think directly um, reflects you. Would you, would you uh, agree with that? Yes, I think so. I've, you know, maybe that's part of why they think I'm quiet because, um, you know, I feel that I have confidence now, but I'm still quiet, but I don't need to, to, you don't need to show to be... that with attitude. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so that uh, um, I would say is uh, one of the reasons why I really enjoyed my experience. What was your experience like? Did you really have a, a feel that this is one of the, you know, best moments to, to be in the business school? Yeah, no, I, I had a great experience. I grew a lot at business school, I feel like, and um, learned a lot about, you know, all these other businesses that I really knew nothing about. 
Um, that was kind of the time when investment banking was taking off. And not that I ever wanted to be an investment banker, but you know, we, I went on that business school trip to New York and um, opened my eyes to that whole world. And no, it was, it was everything about business school and the people that I met um, were very diverse from all different parts of the world and you know, all different parts of our socioeconomic you know, life here in America. And it was great. It was a tremendous experience. Uh, same. I, I concur completely. It was an excellent experience. Um, of the people who are in our class, who would you recommend that I interview next? <clears throat> well, since since Jack referred you to me, I have to I have to say that you have to go. Talk Jack Sorensen. Jack Sorensen. All right. Well, we'll get Jack up next then. And then of course, you know, I mean, I, I guess I have to include my group of friends, such as um, Mike Bridge and Walter Levitch over in New York, and uh, Jeff Bolt, my Former roommate. He's a former roommate. Yeah. So Jeff's a friend of mine too. And all of those guys, I will definitely get more of them into the, uh, into the interview mix here. Cause this is going to be fun. Um, let's go and, and move from <clears throat> old home week as it were into though the future of building. And cause I, having you uh, across the table from me is an opportunity to maybe learn a little bit more about what's going to be happening. I mean, there are some major changes in the world. Um, going on. We are, many people are concerned about climate change, um, some perhaps more than others, um, but certainly community by community, there must be concerns about the, um, the building and the building standards and the quality, not just the quality, but the um, features that are going into these buildings. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what you are hearing and, and seeing as the future of residential home construction. Well, two things, yes. The, the first thing is on the green part of it, um, the environmental part. Um, I mean, the state has mandated, um, all the state and the federal government actually, through the building codes, uh, they have mandated that we build um, a very energy efficient, quote unquote, green home. Um, each time the building code is updated, it gets more and more green which means you know, less waste, uh, more efficient um, products such as you know, heaters and air conditioners that emit less waste. Um, the home is much tighter, it doesn't lose energy uh, the way it used to. All the windows and insulation is a lot better than it used to be. Um, so you know, it's, you know, in the next building code in the state of California here in 2020 is requiring that we build quote unquote zero net energy homes, which means that um, the home cannot use as much power as it generates. Uh, so that means that most of our new homes will have solar panels, uh, you know, to provide energy back to the grid. So, you know, so that's kind of what the future is here in California, and I think other states will follow. Um, so that's on the energy part of it. On the uh, building efficiency side of it, because labor costs are so high, um, our industry is turning more and more to panelization uh, so that uh, the on-site process of building the home becomes shorter and uh, it's going to be less labor-intensive and most of the homes will be built off-site. So um, <clears throat> that's becoming, it's, it hasn't really hit production housing yet, but it's going to, I think. There, um, there's plants being built all over the country to panelize walls and to create um, actually modular units that can be pieced together on site 
Uh, so that's that's really where the future is in home building, and it's I think it's um, you know mainly because of the labor crisis. So it's just very difficult to get um, our young children into the construction business at this point. It's just not happening, and um, so we have to adapt. And does that change then the way that um, that you structure your you know, operations then clearly. I mean, you, you're bringing, now you're, instead yeah. of having people in the field, you're bringing components in. That's right. And yeah. is that a big change to your cost structure? Does it help you <clears throat> in, in terms of lowering costs? Well, it hasn't, so, so far costs have not gone down because of this. And that's, you know, why many builders such as us are still mostly doing on-site building, but, um, but it's in the process of, and I think it will come down. And one thing it will do, even if costs don't come down, the time to build will go down. Uh, so we're working on all those things. I think by you know, 2020 or 2021, we'll actually be doing a lot more modular construction, a lot more panelized construction. We're starting now by doing panelized walls and bringing them out to site. So it's just kind of getting started. but. Um, so yeah, that's that's the future. Is that uh, a pretty competitive industry on the on the side of creating the panels, or is that or is it a concentrated kind of industry which could be end up being a problem for you? Um, I think I would like to see it become more competitive. Uh, the problem is that the upfront investment of putting these plants in has been a little bit cost prohibitive. So um, so as of today, there's not enough panelized. Yeah, panel plants, I guess, to service our industry, but I think it's just a matter of time, and that'll bring the cost down too. Okay, exactly. Um, I've noticed uh, as a homeowner that costs go up uh, as well for us. Um, you know, when we own a home, and it doesn't seem, from an economic perspective, it's not necessarily um, an improvement, uh, or at least you can't necessarily see that. Is that part of the equation too? Or is it just that people want the people want the green people want the uh, efficiency, yeah I mean so see okay. the problem is I mean you're right green costs money it costs money to make the home more efficient it costs money to put in the solar panels um, and people aren't really willing to pay for that they would rather pay for you know the granite countertops and the upgraded cabinets absolutely and so on. I want the granite countertop yeah well they would rather have that than the solar panels if they had ten thousand dollars to spend right but um and that's part of the reason why i think the state is now jumping in and say we want zero net energy homes so the builders you got to put it in but now now we just add it we're gonna have to add it to the price of the home so the buyer's gonna have to pay for it unless the market's just unwilling but. you know it's an interesting problem i was gonna uh so, you know just coming at this looking at from the outside but having the underlying you know sort of business principles in our experience that you you can only do so much because the economics drive a lot of this and if you can't make a profit then you're not going to be seeing people build right yeah so in this case as we create more energy efficiency we do gain that benefit uh at the same time costs are probably going up and then maybe fewer homes are being built which is another crucial issue yes. um so what you know as a builder what would you say to our politicians that they could do to maybe think through um, rules and regulations that would be more likely to find a middle ground. Yeah, I mean, that's being lobbied 
at the state all the time by our builder associations exactly those points um, that you know the more you the more you try to you know add to our the cost of our homes and fees and regulations and um, you know energy efficiency it's just going to make the homes more and more you know expensive and less affordable and you know you say that you want affordable housing but that's you're not going to get it and so yes we're constantly lobbying at the state to toe the line okay enough is enough you know we've already got a, a zero net energy home coming what more do you want um, because we've got to at this point you know not cause the price of a home to continue to go up okay well there's uh, certainly some more places where we could talk later in the future about um, uh, some of the challenges that we face in, as, a, as a community, as, as a nation, as a world uh, moving forward and the need for ho housing is complicated by the issues of um, energy efficiency and, and this sort of over consumption as, we, as we've often seen, over consumption of resources. So. Let's get on to something more fun, though, and that is you mentioned a couple. You mentioned at the very beginning uh, some some comment about being over your skis. So, are you a skier? Absolutely. Tell me about your skiing. Where do you go? Uh, well, you know, I have a place that I've had a place at Squaw Valley for since the '90s. So it's been over 20 years, and um, you know, my kids. Um, we took them up almost every weekend uh, when they were growing up. One of them went on to become a a pretty competitive ski racer and that's I, I was a much less competitive ski racer back in my day um, but yeah skiing is a big part of our life and um, you know I ski 30 to 40 days a year typically well you're still pretty active then that's excellent uh, I don't get that much time in I probably get five to ten days uh, but I love skiing and I love Squaw Valley and uh, it's a great place uh, my daughter went there and uh, the, at, when she was at Cal for the last three years, uh, she went and joined the ski team so that oh, she awesome. could get active. Mm -hmm. And she got a lot better. Yeah. To where she's much faster than me now. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what getting in those gates makes you a way better skier. It does. It forces yeah. you. So right. um, I'm impressed with that. And uh, I, one last thing. Is there anything that we've missed? I mean, we've been talking for about 30 minutes, um, but I'm kind of curious if we covered you know, the things you were expecting to, uh, to be asked, and is there something you want to say? Well, I didn't really have any <clears throat> expectations about what would be asked, but I feel like it was a, a pretty good uh, summary of, you know, what I do and our business here and a little bit about our time at Berkeley and some of our friends there. And so I will enjoy hearing this and hopefully the next round of uh, interviews that you do. And some we'll get some more. Yeah, we'll get some more classmates in here, won't we? All yeah. right. Well, thank you very much, Jay. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you.